We've been teaching a series these last few weeks. We just did a little mini-series, three-part series called In God We Trust. And I'm going to bring it home with a simple message tonight called First and Ten. First and Ten. If you were to pull out a little bit of U.S. currency, as I'm sure you have many times, and you look right under the name of our nation, the United States of America, what does it say underneath that? In God We Trust, which is a great idea. It's an important notion. I like where that idea is going, but how many of us think that possibly that's not always the way our nation really feels? Anybody think, anybody think that trusting in God is not necessarily the norm in our day, in our generation, in our city? Trusting in God. Maybe, especially in the area of finance, is an area where many of us, even on the journey of faith and following Jesus, have struggled to trust Him. In fact, I would say it's fair to say that in our generation, there's just a general lack of trust, trust for each other, trust in our institutions, and trust for God. And so, you know, it's important to me at the end of the day, if you want to boil all of what we've been talking about in this series about finance down, really, it's all about trust. You know, some years ago, I did certification as an executive coach. And I learned from another coach who just did an interesting trust exercise, had gone out on the streets of another major city in Australia called Melbourne with real Australian currency in his hand. This is not monopoly money. This is real money. He's on the streets of Australia trying to give money away. People are walking down the street and he says, $20, no strings attached, $50. But he's trying to give money away. People wouldn't take it. This is a true story. And so, so he learned a lot about people that day. In fact, as people would approach him and he'd try and hand them the money, no strings attached, there's no trick. They're looking around, they're looking for the hidden camera. This has got to be one of those shows. What's the catch? And as the people start to bank up around him, because it's a busy sidewalk, people further back see all the commotion. They look on at the guy trying to give money away, heaven forbid, and they cross to the other side of the street in order to avoid the psycho giving money away. Does that tell you anything about our day and how little trust there is, oftentimes in our world? What's our heart? What's the heart of our church when it comes to teaching you about money? Why talk about it? Well, I'll tell you one of my things I can tell you as a pastor, as a pastor in this church, you know, my desire is to see your life flourish. We often talk about you know, our mission, which is to follow Jesus, thrive in community, and make a difference. But you know, that thriving in community is really important for us to make a lasting difference, especially in the name of Jesus in the earth. We wanna see you thrive. We wanna see you flourish. And to me, that implies that you're gonna grow in every area of life, right? It's not just gonna be some little spiritual box, what you did with an hour and a half on a Sunday, where I grew in my theological knowledge or my church attendance while the rest of my life fell to pieces. Do you think we'd say, check, that was a success story? No, come on. Our desire, God's plan for your life. I mean, he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts I think toward you when they're good. They're not evil. I wanna give you a future and a hope, amen? So God has plans for every area of our lives, including our finance. Here's a, here's a scripture that I love from Proverbs eleven twenty four. 24. Helps remind me why my heart as a pastor is compelled to teach us about tithes and offerings. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 says, in the message version, it says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. And the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. We spoke in another message in the series to the whole idea of generosity. And of course, you might be thinking there's more ways to be generous than just money. And I'd say amen to that, yes. 
I mean, be generous with your time. Be generous with your words. Be generous with your gifts and talents. Yes and amen to all of that. But of course, one of the simple, tangible ways that we live generously is with our material things. It's an outward indi indication of an inward condition of generosity, right? But, and so is stinginess. is also an outward indication of an inward condition. See, when we live generously, expansively, if you like, then I believe our world continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And when we live in a way that's mean-spirited and self-centered and selfish and inward-looking, we find our world, our sphere of influence, if you like, getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, my experience over many, many years of following Jesus is that a lifestyle of honoring God in the area of my finances only caused my life to get larger and larger, which might seem counterintuitive because in the short term, in the immediate, it almost looks like I'm giving things away and yet multiplied back to me more than I could ever express to you is how I have experienced God's faithfulness. God has a plan and guess who else has a plan? Satan. Now we don't talk about him all the time, but the reality is that although he's a defeated foe, he's not powerless and he has a plan for your life. And guess what? It's not a good plan. He has a plan for the church on the subject of finance. Do you think it's a good plan? It's not a good plan. One of the things the enemy would love the church to do on the subject of, silent, of, of, of finance is just to be silent, to be quiet on the subject. And why is that? Why would he want the church to not speak, especially from God's word, amen, which is powerful on the subject of finance? It's because he knows that money has power for good or for evil. Money in and of itself is not evil. Some people think money is evil. No, the, the root of the love of money, I mean, the love of money, that's, that causes all kinds of problems. But money in and of itself has no morality. It's neither good nor evil. Money really in some ways takes on the morality or the mission of the person its hands it's in. Person with the kingdom vision, money in their hand is gonna advance kingdom things. Person with evil in their heart, money in their hands is gonna advance an evil cause. So it's got power. That power can be for good or for evil. And it also has great potential to divide relationships. How many marriages? How many friendships? How many partnerships? Frankly, how many churches have been shipwrecked for the mishandling of finance? So that's why every maybe year to 18 months, we teach a series as a church on the subject of finance, something that affects our lives every day, something that we're often talking about, although it's probably good to consider how often out of all of my talk about money, is it God's word as opposed to my problems and other people's ideas, right? How much of my revelation on this is coming from Him? Well, I mean, let's face it, this is a subject that has often down through the generations been badly handled by the church and done harm. So no wonder people are tense to even talk about it in church sometimes, but Jesus wasn't. One of the things I'm very glad about when I speak on finance is that Jesus wasn't silent on the subject and the scripture as a whole wasn't. You know, Jesus taught 38 parables, like they're really a story with a spiritual truth inside. Do you know out of his 38 parables, 16 were about money? Does that seem disproportionate to anyone else? I think Jesus realizes the extent to which finance affects our everyday life and it can, can be a catalyst for the kingdom cause or it can be frankly a catalyst for us being divided from God in every area of our life, which is Judas's story, right? Judas was one of the 12 disciples. You know, in the end, he lost both his ministry and ultimately his life in large part due to the love of money. You know, so I've really experienced God's blessing in this area of my life. I've seen God provide again and again. And that's why, you know, if somebody was to try and convince me otherwise, it's not that I don't respect people with a different opinion. I do. 
I respect your right to a different opinion and people, loved ones, family members, your friends might believe very differently from what I'm teaching tonight. And that's okay, I respect that, but they're never gonna convince me because I've lived it, right? There's a difference for me. I'm, I'm beyond convincing otherwise that God's word is truth, that his promises work and that he's faithful to his word. In fact, Liberty Church as a whole is like a living, breathing testimony to that truth. Yeah, I don't know if you know the story of our church. We moved just over seven years ago from Australia Andy and I, and at the time, three kids. We were so small as a church that we fitted around a little picnic table in Central Park. And we started out of our own bank account. We sold what a house we had in Australia. Don't get any big ideas. The bank owned like 99% of it, but we took what was left after closing costs and we funded the church. And I don't say that like I'm some martyr. That was the best investment of my life, was to put every penny we had into starting this church. Well, I tell you, there was a time where it got really scary. Not so long before we were supposed to launch weekly services, like our credit cards were blowing up. I mean, even the Australian ones, at least I was smart enough to use my offshore credit first and not wreck my credit score. Once those were all toast, then the US ones were going cash was running out, it was terrifying. I mean, I, I wish I was exaggerating. I literally did a burn rate projection, worked out how much we spent every week, worked out how much money we had left and we had six weeks to go before financial oblivion for our family, which meant for our church because we were basically bankrolling everything at that point, right? Well, here I am still smiling. Here we are seven years later. What does that tell you? Not just that we survive, God was faithful to his word. And I tell you what, yeah, amen. I tell you what we held on to. It's not as if, you know, we just imagine, well, because we've been faithful to God, we'll never hit any problems. That was the scariest ride of my life. But you know what I held on to through all of that? We've been faithful. Both Andy and I as individuals and us as a married couple, as a family, faithful, faithful, walking faithfully in the tithe, honoring God, putting Him first, giving up our offerings. And we prayed and we held on to Him and we saw a harvest reaped in our lives from all that we had sown. So I wanna give you four thoughts tonight around this, if you're taking notes. And the first is this, giving is all about trust. I probably already established that at this point. But it's worth reiterating, giving, if we have a giving problem, I'll tell you what we really have, we have a trust problem. Is it in God we trust or is it in ourselves we trust, <laughs> right? That's a convicting thought for me. Kingdom finance, when you really boil it all down, is all about trust. It's like a mutual trust. Kingdom finance is about me trusting God. And what we often forget is it's also about God trusting me. I wanna teach both sides of that just for a minute. As we think about the trust dynamic, in our giving, mutual trust. What does it look like to trust God? I could give you loads of scriptures, but let's do Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. And He will make your paths straight. You know, Many of us need financial miracles. We need our paths made straight. God to make a way, <clears throat> however you wanna phrase it. God to give you a breakthrough or supernatural provision or show you which way you ought to go. We need our paths made straight. And yet the scripture says, that's fruit of in all your ways, submit to him. Submission is a super unpopular word. Anybody else notice that? Like submission is way out of vogue at the moment. What is submission? Submission means submission, under the mission. Am I under the mission of God in the area of my finances? Is it my mission and I'm hoping God will back me up like some sort of eternal genie blessing my plans or am I under his mission? Do I understand 
God's plan, God's way, and God's purposes. If, if, if in all my ways I am submitted, sub, I mean submission to him, he makes my paths straight. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what's it say? Lean not on your own understanding. Where do you lean? I wonder where you're leaning when it comes to money. See, I mean, I, if I put my hand on this little music stand slash pulpit, <laughs> this is not really me trusting in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could say, yeah, I trust in this, this stand to keep, hold me up. But you know, if it was to fail, I suspect it would if I really leaned on it. Uh, you know, I'm fine because my legs have got me. At this moment, actually, I'm trusting in myself. I'm not, there's, I have contact with, in some senses, like a relationship with this stand. That's weird. Uh, you get where I'm going with this though, right? But on the other hand, if I was to like really like get way out there and to lean on this thing, you would know if I was leaning on it when if it was to be removed, I'd fall flat on my face. So which relationship better describes you and God when it comes to money? Is it like this, like a relationship of convenience and proximity? Yeah, God, I love you, bless me, but I got this. Or is it more like, God, I need you. If you don't come through, I'm gonna be flat on my face. What do we lean in? What do we lean on? Who do we trust in? I mean, we just sang some beautiful songs, but is that all they were? I surrender all, everything and nothing less. Beautiful sentiment again, right? In God we trust. What about our affection, our devotion, poured out on the feet of Jesus? You know what that lyric was from in the second song we sang tonight? The woman with the alabaster jar who broke it and poured out beautiful, expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. It was an act of worship, an act of sacrifice. See, at the end of the day, when we honor God in this area of our lives, it's not about legalism. It's not about obligation. It's about relationship. And relationship, healthy relationships are always built on trust. That's what this is about. It's amazing to me that sometimes people, at least ostensibly in their heads, will trust God with their souls, which are eternal, but not with their money. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Like, God, I trust you with everything else, but the money, I got this. I'll be God, like lowercase g, that's fine. You can be the capital G God, but I'm gonna be God in this area of my life. I got it with the money. So it's about us trusting God, but it's also about God trusting us. What a beautiful thought. God trusts you. Look at this, I'll show you in Luke 16, verse 10 to three. It says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't know if you noticed how many times the word trust or trustworthy came up in that passage. It's all about trust. God has entrusted you and I. Maybe you don't realize that, but even just the very breath that we breathe, every material thing that we have, it all belongs to Him. God has entrusted us. Now the question is, what are we doing with what He has entrusted us with? God's watching. He's watching. What will we do? And He says, you know, what's interesting is, I've, you know, in His Word, He says, I've taught you, you know, if you're faithful with little, you're gonna be faithful with much. If you're dishonest with little, you're gonna be dishonest with much. And then maybe there's a part of you thinking, all of this money talk, like Paul, money is not the be all end all. Money is not the goal in life. And do you know what I would say to you? Amen. It is not, money is not the goal, but listen to me, money is the test. 
It's not the goal. Of course it's not. But it is the test. You know what that scripture said right in the middle? I read it to you a minute ago. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? So what's God saying to us? Yeah, it's not the goal. Of course, there's true riches, much more important than worldly wealth, but he's using money as the test for the things which are eternal, amen, and for the things that matter much more to the kingdom. That's why it matters how we steward our finance. It'd be irresponsible for us to not talk about this at least once in a while, to recognize the power of the tithe. It'd be like me as a parent, never teaching my kids about money and wondering why they're a disgrace or a shipwreck when it comes to finance later in life if I never equip them. You know, it'd be selfish for us not to teach you. God's plan is for your good, amen? God's plan is not sickness and poverty and destruction and hurt. And do you think those are the things we're gonna experience in heaven? No. Those are the things that we experience as a result of the fall on this earth. But God's plan is a redemptive plan. So if there's any part of you that thinks, you know, because, because there's been such a lousy job done sometimes on this subject in all different directions over the years, maybe there's some part of your brain that's running that filter like, oh, this is like one of those shallow, self-seeking prosperity messages. Give me a break. Because you know what? This is not about you and it's not about me. If you really wanna get down to it, why you and I need to prosper has got nothing to do with us. And it's got everything to do with not only a lost and a broken and a dying world, but it's got everything to do with the generations who come after us. When we get uncomfortable, when people talk about money, it's a good chance to say, why am I uncomfortable? It's not wrong to be uncomfortable in a conversation. I mean, we've, we've, we've taught messages recently, we've pressed into things like justice and racial reconciliation, and they're uncomfortable subjects. It doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about them though, right? When, when people talk about money around me, if I get uncomfortable, I guess one question I should ask myself is, I should ask, what's my relationship with money like? And, or, who's wearing the pants? Is it me or is it my money? Like, do I work for money or does money work for me? Because that scripture ended with this statement, you cannot serve both God and money. So in other words, money makes a wonderful servant, but a lousy master. Number two. Number two, the tithe is God's plan for my blessing. The tithe is God's plan for my blessing. Because I honor God and I trust Him, I put Him first, that's expressed very tangibly in a simple way with my tithes and my offerings. You know, Andy and I are so grateful that we have a church where so many people are following God in this area. I also recognize that we're a growing church. We're planting new communities. The nature of New York is people joining us all, all the time from around the world. And I realize even since we last taught on this, maybe a year, year and a half ago, so many people have joined that journey or people who in some senses know these things but are still on the faith journey of trusting God and walking it out. And so people ask good questions that once in a while we got to visit. Like for instance, you know, when we do the offering at the end of the service, today's will be real short, but usually when we're not teaching a whole message on finance, We'll take two or three minutes and teach just a scripture and a thought from God's word about our giving and remind ourselves why we give. And you might notice we have two envelopes, one for the tithe and one for the offering. And you might think, you know, why do we have two envelopes? Because they're two different things. That's why. The tithe, the word tithe was literally the word for tenth in the original language. So it's actually really kind of simple. It's a simple concept. The tithe is, as the message title implies, it's my first and ten. And then the offering is whatever I freely choose to give over and above that. And the tithe is found all the way throughout the Bible. I'm gonna do a quick, like a quick two minute history of the tithe in scripture. 
You know, in some ways you could say that the idea of the tithe was even there in the garden. It wasn't explicit, but certainly when God said to Adam and Eve, he set aside something to himself that was to be holy. There was that principle there right from the beginning that God would prosper them as they trusted him. But the clearest example in scripture, the first example is in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis 14, verse 17 to 20, this is Abraham before his name was changed uh, from Abram. He says, Abram returned from defeating, I'm going to say Ketaloma, but I have no idea how to pronounce that. Don't judge me. And the kings allied with him and the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Now listen to this. He says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of, the God, of God most high. And he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram. By God most high, creator of heaven and earth, praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. And listen, and then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, why this is interesting is because there is no law yet. Some people, we'll get to this in a minute, but some people think, oh, isn't the tithe like a law thing? No, this is hundreds of years before the law was even instituted. And what's unusual about this character, Melchizedek, apart from having a name that's a nightmare to spell, is that he is the only person apart from Jesus in the scripture who's described as both a king and a priest. So it's interesting to me that you watch the development of Abram's relationship with what ultimately is like a picture of Jesus, a picture of the spirit of Christ in the Old Testament. So, so he comes out, he's the king of a place called Salem. He's the king of peace, that's what Salem means. The king of peace who comes out to bless Abram, who brings bread and wine. Any of this ringing any bells, you know? Sounds a little like Jesus, right? And then at the end of all of this, what's Abram's instinctive response? He tithed. Hundreds of years before the Lord. Sometimes, you know, what's, what's the problem for us is that we can know just enough of the Bible to be dangerous, right? Not really do our homework, Google a few things, heard something on a podcast. We've got to go to God's word, don't we? How, do we? how do we stand on his promises and live with conviction? And you know what? Feel free to live with a convic different conviction than I do, but let's never be so naive as to have secondhand, hand-me-down revelations in this important area of our life. So it's a, it's a timeless principle. The tithe was there before the law. In a minute, I'll show it to you in the law. And then Jesus reinforcing it under the covenant of grace. And there might be a part of you thinking, well, hang on a minute, do I have to tithe? And my answer to that would be no. You don't have to. In fact, I'll take it further. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. I mean, this is, this is not a have to, this is a get to. So for instance, you don't have to pray. You don't have to read the Bible. In fact, if you really want to get down to it, you don't have to follow Jesus at all. But, important caveat, if you want to experience God's blessing, then living God's way and experiencing God's best for you, they just go hand in hand. It's not a have to, it's a get to, amen? When we understand God's heart, His Father heart toward us, it's easy to trust Him. God doesn't love you any more or any less based on what you do. Do you get that? He doesn't love the tither more than the person who is not walking with Him faithfully in this area. But I tell you, what we experience, our reward and our blessing in life is attached to what we do. Malachi 3, verse 10 to 12 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to share it. So even as God 
is talking to his people about the tithe. He's talking to them about unleashing blessing, like open the floodgates kind of blessing. If I did an altar call for that tonight, God, give me so much blessing, I can't contain it. I mean, we'd all be down here. I'd be down there laying hands on myself, right? <laughs> What's God say in the middle of all of this? He says, test me in this. What? The tithe. Can you think of one other time in the Bible God said, test me in this? It's like he's taunting us almost in a beautiful way. Test me in this. Try me in this. And what's the big why of the tithe, by the way? Bring it to the storehouse that there would be food in his house. I want us to be a house where we have food, so to speak, for the nations. Resource, amen? We're able to meet needs and love our city and beyond. So I don't tithe from a position of obligation. I, I tithe from a place of conviction. What did Jesus say about the tithe? Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. These guys were so serious about tithing, they didn't just tithe on their money. Like if they grew something in the garden, it was like nine for me, one for you. I mean, it was like serious. You tithe on your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now listen, it's very important what Jesus says here. You should have practiced the latter, what's that? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the former, which is what? The tithe. So what's Jesus say? Don't neglect the tithe. But what he actually says, why is he rebuking them, by the way, if they were so good at tithing? It's because they were stuck in their law-abiding way. They were stuck in what Jesus called 1.0 or basic, Hey, there are, there are even more important things. While you're focused on your tithing, you know, there's no grace, there's no love, there's no mercy. Where's the justice, right? So Jesus says an important thing. He says, don't, Jesus doesn't say to them, forget all that tithing. This is a new day. Come, love everybody. Jesus says, hey, don't neglect that. But don't kid yourself that that's anything more than base camp for greatness if you want to make a difference in this world. Amen? Number three, the tithe belongs to God. I'm going to fly through this one, but if we're going to, bless you, Mavis. <laughs> the tithe belongs to God. It does not belong to me. Why this is super important to understand is I have to understand my relationship with and my stewardship responsibility when it comes to the tithe. I already read Malachi 3, but let me read a few verses either side this time. Verse 8 says, will a mere mortal rob God and yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and in offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there won't be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And listen to this. And all the nations will call you what? Blessed. All the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. Now, this is interesting to me. He didn't say all the, all the nations will call you under the thumb. All the nations will call you burdened by this awful thing I put on you. He says, all the nations are gonna call you blessed. Yours is gonna be a delightful land. Did you notice how much blessing? Like what God was promising for their crops and for their household. He was promising blessing. But you know, for me, the key to understanding the tithe is the first word in verse 10, bring. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, this might sound like semantics or I'm splitting hairs, but it's really important. Bring is a different word to give. 
I tell you why it says bring and not give is because we cannot give something that didn't belong to us in the first place. He says bring the tithe because it belonged to God already. I can't give God what is already his. And that's why I believe he describes it robbery, by the way, to show it to you a second way when we withhold it from him. Otherwise, maybe it would be stinginess, but no, it's robbery when we withhold from God what is rightfully his. In fact, I think better than I can describe it, I'm gonna show you a little one minute video from a great speaker by the name of Robert Morris. Who, by the way, if you wanted to you know, do some more reading on the subject of finance, a good read would be a book called The Blessed Life. And this little one minute clip helps us understand, I think, the tithe very well. God said, begin to give. And I said, well, Lord, what, what do you mean uh, begin to give? I said, I said, I tithe. He said, mm, tithing's not giving. Tithing is returning. You know, if, uh, if uh, uh, Pastor Rob said to me, uh, hey, I, can I borrow your car? My car's in the shop, can I borrow your car? So I said, sure. So I give him the keys. And, uh, you know, a week later, he comes to me and says, listen, Beck and I have been praying, and uh, we'd like to give you this car. I'd say, uh, are those my keys? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, these are your keys, but uh, we, we, we want to give it to you. I'd say, you're not giving me my car. You're returning my car. And a lot of people believe that when they tithe, they're giving to God. But you're not giving yet. You're only returning. Giving is when you give over and above. So the Lord said, give over and above. I said, well, Lord, what, how will I know what to give? How will I know when to give? How will I know where to give? How will I know? He said, and listen, this is so simple. He said, I'll tell you, my sheep hear my voice. Isn't that helpful? <laughs> this makes it so simple. The tithe belongs to God. And that's why in some senses, really the spirit of the tithe is not actually about generosity as much as it is simply about obedience. God desires for us to be generous, but really our generosity begins after we tithe. Our, our generosity begins with what we choose to do out of the abundance of our heart over and above the tithe. Because maybe you've been thinking, wait a minute, isn't there a verse that says something like, you know, God loves a cheerful giver and give as you've decided in your heart to give. Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, but it's speaking about the offering. It's not speaking about the tithe. It's speaking about that beautiful opportunity to be led and you know, be spontaneous and to see a need and to meet it and to respond out of a generous spirit over and above the tithe. So maturity is when I see discipleship and fellowship and stewardship come together in my life with what God has lent me. Amen? Let me give you one more before my time's done. Number four is the tithe puts God first in my life. The tithe puts God first in my life. How many know that what we put first in life, what we do first in life, it matters? <clears throat> Romans eleven sixteen shows you the power of honoring God in this area. It says, if the, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, what's the principle here? It's talking about offering you know, dough literally like a, as, as, a, as an offering in the Old Testament, they'd bring animals, they'd bring up their food and their grain and other things. And this, the principle here is, it's not just the, the first that you bring that is blessed, it's the whole batch. Yeah. It's not just the root, it's the branches, it's the whole thing. So what, is, what does that mean for you and I? 
When we honor God in this area, we don't just experience his blessing on what we gave, we experience his blessing on the whole thing. When I tithe, it blesses everything. You know, J.D. Rockefeller, a hundred years ago, today if you gave a hundred million dollars to the church, well, people would be dancing, and it's a lot of money, but he gave a hundred million dollars to the kingdom a hundred years ago. And this is what he said about this principle. He said, I've learned the principle that if I put God first, he'll take care of the rest. So it's all about what comes first. The first is what blesses the rest. And the tithe puts God first in my life in a very practical way. What you put first matters, right? We all know that instinctively in different areas. What I put first, what I do first, it matters. I mean, if I was involved in a car accident and I make five phone calls, including my lawyer, before I call 911, how many people think if that case ever went to court, it wouldn't look good for me? What I did first, right? I called them eventually. No, 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 no. <laughs> what you do first matters, right? You know, I'm a parent, I got four kids, and I know what they do first when they get home from school, it matters. I want them to play, I want them to get on their devices, that's all good, but you know what, it's gonna, it matters to me because I have learned, I have learned, that if, if some of those things like chores and homework and things don't get done first, somehow, it's just amazing how the time goes. Did anybody else experience that? I know it doesn't happen to us because we're all adults here. We've never had that experience with last minute assignments, for instance. Proverbs chapter three, Verse nine and 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of all your crops. There's that principle of first again. Notice how honor and first go in the same sentence. Honor the Lord with your wealth. We don't just honor him with our words, do we? We honor him with our deeds and with our possessions. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Or to paraphrase, when you honor God and you put him first, you experience abundance in every area of your life. You know, I've never been able to explain it on a spreadsheet or my Quicken software, but I have experienced year after year after year this miraculous thing that God does in my life when I honor Him with the tithe is that I have experienced that when I honor Him with the first 10% that belongs to Him, my 90% with His blessing goes further than my 100% without His blessing ever did. I don't know why it works, but it works because He's true to His word, I guess, at the end of the day. The key word here is honor. What do we honor? Who do we honor with our finance? I wanna put God first, amen? You know, when you give, it leaves your hand, but it doesn't leave your life. It's a seed sown into the future of your life. And in some ways, I think it's fair to say that God's really either first or he isn't really God at all. So no wonder when he did actually put the tithe into the law, it happened of all the places in the book of Exodus. Now, if you know the scripture a little bit, you might know that Exodus is the story of God bringing the children of Israel out of slavery. So stay with me for a minute. Think about the father heart. He brings the children of Egypt out of, the children of Israel out of Egypt, brings them out of bondage and slavery, sets them free. And then one of the first things he does is institute the tithe. So you tell me, did he bring them out of slavery in order to reintroduce them to slavery? Or do you think in the father heart of God, the tithe represented not a bondage or a burden, but it represented freedom. It represented a key to his blessing on them in their new free life. It's important what we do first. Even practically, look, theologically and honor and trust, that's my case to you for putting God first. But even practically, have you ever tried to save at the end of the month? Have you ever tried to pay all your taxes at the end of the year? These are bad ideas, right? So what we do first matters. If something is really important to us, we ought to do it first rather than hope it'll happen at the end. 
It's about God's place and priority in my life. Let me give you one last scripture. John 13, 17. I'm gonna have one of the worship team come join me. John 13, 17. This is so important. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. <laughs> Don't you think you and I live in an age where we have so much information? And people say knowledge is power, and I guess in a certain way it is, but it's really what we do with what we know that counts. I think many of us are on a journey in this area and it's like God has given me an opportunity to remind you again. Some of you, it's reminding you of what you already know. And the question is, what are we doing with what we know? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if, keyword, if, if you do them. I wanna pray for you tonight because I have a real sense that there are people on the journey of faith with God in every area of life, but specifically in this one. And I wanna pray as you, Maybe reflect on this in the coming days and you take it to prayer and you go to the word for yourself and, and you weigh what you've heard tonight. I'm praying that God's gonna lead you to a place, not only of tithing, but beyond, amen? And to experience his blessing. I wonder if I could have every head bowed and every eye closed across this place tonight. So Jesus, firstly, I just pray for every person here. I would guess that there's probably not a person in this room that doesn't desire to, or perhaps even really need to experience more of your blessing in their lives in the area of finance. And so God, I simply pray, I had to submit to them tonight, your word and your truth and the conviction you've taught me over many years of your faithfulness to your promises. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to trust you, to honor the Lord with their wealth, with the first fruit of all their crops they'd see your faithfulness, God, in the land of the living as your word promises. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.